that you're here with us again. Uh, hopefully, if, if you're brand new, then I'm, I'm excited that you're here for the very first time. Maybe you're watching online for the first time right now. Maybe you just joined us because you're interested to see what we have to say, what I have to say about Eminem. We're going to get to that, but I want to say welcome to you, and we're thrilled that we get to do this together in, on this time. Maybe it's a Monday or Tuesday for you, but can we right here in the building, can we right here in the room, can you guys just give it up for everybody watching right now and tell them how much we appreciate them and how much we love them? We are so, so, so thrilled that we are not disconnected. We can still be connected through the power of technology, through the power of uh, the internet, and maybe it's across the screen, but it's so, so, so important that we are still connected, that we remain more connected now than ever. There's so many things that are challenging us, so many things that stand in the way of um, intimacy, right, between friends, between us and God, distractions, things that would try to distract us and keep us demotivated. And so today is about motivation. Today is about us finding that motivation. But it's really, we're going to dive, I think like you've seen probably for the last few weeks, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. I hope to take us a little bit deeper than that. I hope to challenge you in your faith today. I hope to to challenge you in your um, comfort zone, to not stay comfortable, to not get to a place where I've done enough. In fact, I feel like for 2020 and a lot of 2021, it's enough, right? Just, just doing anything is, well, I did enough. But we're going to go beyond that today. So the first week we looked at uh, the weekend's blinding lights. And then last uh, few weeks, Michael Jackson with Man in the Mirror. Last week was the Backstreet Boys, As Long As You Love Me. But didn't Pastor Susan do a great job? <laughs> 90 Sunday Man, I, I never thought people would be as excited to dress up, to revisit the 90s. I already went through the 90s. I don't need to go back. I'm, <laughs> I'm totally happy with where we are right now and happy looking forward. Maybe not where we are right now, but happy looking forward and continuing to move forward. That's the exciting thing. So today we're going to look at a song, like I said, that's really an iconic imagery all of its own with Eminem and Lose Yourself. This song, even though Eminem was already fairly popular when the song came out, this was actually his first number one uh, hit in the U.S. It also was the first rap song to, to, uh, to win an Academy Award. So this song was like breaking the mold. This this song was a game changer for Eminem. It was a game changer for uh, hip-hop as a whole. Uh, shortly after, when the, when the movie 8 Mile came out in 2002, this song came along with it, and both the song and the movie kind of tell an autobiographical story of Eminem and his struggle in finding himself and his struggle against his own demons and against the, the, the community and trying to trying to seize the moment, really, what the song says, uh, and listening to the, to the story that's told throughout, it's a story that all of us can relate to, I think. No matter what background you come from, no matter what uh, place in life you grew up in, we can all relate to, and it resonates with us that we want better. We want to strive for more. We want to seize the moment and and. We're going to look at the lyrics in just a second, but I think 
that inspiration is something that I think is one of the reasons why the song is so wildly successful because it's not just reaching one particular element of society. Really, the song is speaking to all of us in that you can reach your dreams. You can, you can reach for the stars and you can attain it if you'll take advantage of the moment, if you'll go all in. There's a bunch of different ways to say it, but we see him, his character, the character of B-Rabbit, in the, in the movie, where he is, he's trying to, um, sh- you see the struggle between him and his friends, and him and people in the neighborhood, and, and his journey in becoming better, his, be- his journey in breaking out of the things that were holding him back. And not only did he have a fight on the outside against, you see him fighting against all kinds of things, the, the, the struggle to, to pay bills, and the struggle at home with his his mom and the, the situations at home, but you also see him struggling. I think mostly the part that, I, that resonates with me the most in this story is that you see him struggling inside of himself to, to, to even be, a, can I even do this? Like when he talks about being nervous and when he talks about uh, wanting to step out, but then the words aren't there or uh, getting vomit on his sweater, right? The things that, those elements of the song that, we remember that internal struggle is something that all of us have. Whether you acknowledge that God has a plan for your life or whether you're just thinking, I want a better life or I'm struggling against, I just need to get my bill paid uh, by the end of the week, right? We have that struggle with how am I going to do this? How can I step out? Am I able? Struggling against the fears and the worry and the stress and the doubt that all of us have. The cool thing is, I think... Um, in the movie, actually, a lot of the things that you see in the movie are autobiographical to him. So you, you see actual elements of his life. Uh, one of the things that you can see on the, the, the picture back here is, the screen back here, is the original piece of paper that he wrote that song on. He actually wrote it on the set of the movie, but then that actual little scrap of paper was in the film when he's on the bus, and this is just a blown-up image. You can see that it's like... It's all over the place. Like, how can anybody even read that? But that was like his code and his way of uh, the way he was feeling the, the, the words and the lines and, and the way that it came to him. So I want us to actually read the, the lyrics to the chorus. It says, you better lose yourself in the music. And I'm not a rapper. I, I wouldn't do it any justice. And I, I know you guys would love to hear that. That would be probably... That may qualify for one of those most embarrassing moments for, <laughs> for the future, but we're not going to do that. I just want you to read the words. The, you better lose yourself in the music the moment you own it. You better never let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. And those words have kind of echoed in our lives, I think. It, it, it doesn't really matter if you listen to rap music. This song is one of those ones that you hear all over the place. But those words are referring to something I think that's so hard for us to do, right? It's like, to me, it, it's, it's representing that moment to where I want better, but in order for me to get better, I have to leave worse. I have to leave what I am, and there's, there's the awkwardness between where I'm at and where I want to be that almost feels impossible. How can I be something better when I am this? Or how can I be that that I want to be? I know I can be. I think I can be. 
But then the nerves and the stress and the struggle, the conflict that meets right there in the middle of those two moments is one that all of us struggle with. I want to call that today a paradox because a paradox is a, it is a moment or a situation or it's something that feels impossible like this, it, it can't happen. It, it's impossible. And the actual definition of a, of a paradox in the Oxford Dictionary is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition which when investigated may prove to be well-founded or true. So in other words, it's like, Okay, that sounds impossible. That sounds ridiculous. That sounds crazy. How could I do that? And then when you actually look at it, when you actually dig into it, unpack it, investigate it, now what you found is, wait, that's actually, that, that might be possible. That might be true. That might be, that might be amazing. And it's that moment where we, who wants to live a life where we're just content with what we have? Why would we need God if what we have is enough? That's what, what we have is not enough. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God. So no matter how, how good we think we are, no matter how good we feel in life, none of us have, have reached the level where we should be. And so while we may be speaking in two different directions, I think that the idea that there is more is absolutely true. And while more may seem evasive or while more may seem impossible, that I could never be what God wants me to be, that's where we find the paradox of I have to lose myself to actually find myself. So actually Bible paradoxes are throughout the Bible. You look, you look in the Bible, there's always... Over and over and over again, there are these paradoxes where God says, hey, this is what you got to do. And then when we look at it, it's like, uh, that's impossible. Um, that's, that's insane. How, how could I do that? And so just a few of them, Jesus said, whoever wants to be the greatest has to be what? The least of these. Like the first will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be at the head of the table, go sit down at the foot of the table, right? That's a... That's this mind shift where like, wait, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. What about when he says, when I, Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. Like that, wait, that doesn't make any sense. How is weakness strength? But that's the paradox where it doesn't make sense. But when you actually dig into it, oh, okay. It's, this, it's like there's a secret in there. It's the impossible secret. But when you find the secret, when you actually live it out and you need God's power to take you from the weakness to the strength or from the least to the greatest, we have to realize that I can't just jump for greatest. I can't, I can't be grabbing a hold of what I think is the best and the greatest and put me at the head of the table and I want, hey, I'm the best. How about when he says you have to give to receive? It's, it feels backwards, right? It feels upside down. It feels impossible. Well, I can't, I, I can't, I don't have anything to give. Well, the, 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 the way that God wants us to live is if we'll give, then we'll have more. But that's a supernatural, people don't like to hear the word supernatural, but if there's not a supernatural element in your life, that thing that doesn't make sense until you do it, then why do you need God? 
He is the God of impossible. With God, all things, with faith, all things are possible. That's why we need faith because there's that moment where this paradox doesn't make sense and I have to step out on faith. I have to put my foot out on something that, wait, least. I have to be the, wait, I have to be weak. And we just walk in it. And then all of a sudden there's something under us and he's holding us up. The scripture says that he, he will make the foolish things confound the wise. Like he, he will make the foolish, the, the things that are actually wise. So that's why when people look at the Bible, they're like, no, that doesn't make any sense. But when you actually live it out, whenever you actually step into faith, and whenever, when you see the reality behind this world, when you see what makes up this world, this, the, the real spiritual world, it's like, oh, okay, I got it. That's the, then the paradox comes to life. And so even Jesus, I have to live, I must die. Paul said, to live, I have to die. So if you think about it, though, look, Eminem is, is a paradox himself. Eminem is something that when you look at him in, in the 90s, it would have been like, wait, it's just a white rapper? Okay. He talks about it himself. In his song, Criminal, he says, you can't miss me. I'm white, blonde hair. My nose is pointy, right? He's pointing out the fact that I don't look like everybody else who's doing what I'm doing, but I'm doing it pretty good. In his song, Without Me, he says, I'm the worst thing since Elvis Presley to do black music so selfishly and use it to get myself wealthy. Like, he's pointing out that I'm not like everybody else. This might look impot To me, that's a paradox. That's like, wait. It seems absurd. It seems like this don't work. In fact, before Eminem, if you'd have said white rapper, what the only images that would have come to mind would have been like Vanilla Ice, maybe. Come on. <laughs> you might that might be your jam, but he didn't stick around for too long. And yet Eminem is like a living paradox of wait, this doesn't make sense. But he was a game changer. He said, like, whether you like him or not, right? That's what I said about Michael Jackson. Or the weekend. Whether you like them or not, they had a voice. They had something to say. And they changed the world. They changed the industry. They changed things by the, by the way that their art was produced. Or sung. Or arranged, right? They, they did something different that changed things. And so I think in the same way, though, and I never, if you would have asked me last week, probably, I never would have thought that I would have done what I'm about to do right now, and that is compare Jesus to Eminem. But watch this. <laughs> or the other way around, Eminem to Jesus. Like, I think that Jesus, like Eminem, Jesus was a total paradox because he came like, people expected him to be one thing. Even when the disciples said, you're the Messiah, they had one idea of what that meant. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm something totally different, but it's a game changer. And so, when you look, to look on the surface, like, that's crazy. It's ridiculous. Like, how can Jesus bring a whole spiritual kingdom to the earth? How can he flip the world upside down? But when you watch his life unfold in his ministry in three years, what did he do? When you actually watch him live it out and watch what he had to say and what, what he had to do and how he loved people, all of a sudden you're saying, okay, I, I, this might be real. Hold on. <laughs> this is not just some uh, crazy thing. This is not like just like uh, if you would have said white rapper in the 90s and thought vanilla ice. Like, um, there, there were many people who claimed to be the Messiah. 
And they just got blown off like it's another one. But Jesus stepped up and he did something that no one else had done. And he didn't try to do things the way that people thought he should do them. He was everything that God wanted him to be. And Jesus became that paradox. I want us to actually dive into Mark chapter 8 verse 27 and unpack that a little bit. In one uh, sitting, Jesus having a conversation with Peter, with the disciples. And I want you to watch the interaction between them. It's a long, it's about 10 verses, so just stay with me. He says, it starts us off, they're walking uh, through Capernaum. He says, as they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? So Jesus just addresses it right off the bat, like, almost like this. That would be like uh, Eminem saying, like, who am I? I'm a white rapper. And he's wanting to know how people see him. Who do they think I am? What do you think I'm here for? And their response is, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Maybe that, that means like you're, just, you're a prophet like John the Baptist was prophesying something to come. And even though he was a very powerful guy and he had followers, they think you're kind of like him. Some say Elijah and others say you're one of the other prophets. So they're trying to put him into a box and say, you're like this. We know who you are because you're like this other person or you're like this and you should do things this way and we're going to follow this trend. And Jesus is saying, wait a second, <laughs> that, that, that's not the paradox that I've come for. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replies, the right answer actually, he says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus says, okay, that's the secret. That's the secret to this paradox, this thing that people can't figure out, doesn't make sense. When they look at it, they're like, what is this Jesus doing? He's got disciples. He's healing people. He's this. And the disciples figure out the secret. And Jesus tells them, okay, you can't tell anybody because that is the secret to this whole thing. That's what makes everything work. You just can't tell everybody just yet. But what, let me ask you this, if they said the Messiah, that's just another word that we think of at Christmas time or Easter or like that, that's a, a preaching term, Messiah. What does that actually mean? So when, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, what was he actually saying? Peter was saying, you're the one that has been prophesied about that would come and overthrow the government, that you're the one, like when he was saying Messiah, he was also throwing down this idea this his thought of what Jesus should be doing because Messiah really meant the king of the Jews this is the same Messiah the same idea that when Jesus was born Herod was looking for Jesus to kill him because he was prophesied that the Messiah the three wise men had come to see the Messiah born the king of the Jews and so whenever they're talking about this we don't quite grasp what Peter's saying, Jesus, you're here because everything we've been praying about, we've been trying to get out from underneath these Romans, we've been trying to get our lives back, we've been trying to get power, we've been, we've been trying to have our own organization, our own city, our own nation, strength, and he's saying, that's who you are, you're the one, we don't understand it quite yet, but you're the one. In fact, he's like, you're the chosen one, you are, you are the Messiah, but watch what Jesus said. Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer. So he's saying, yes, I'm the Messiah, but don't tell anybody. Let me give you a little bit more information. 
the reason you can't tell anyone is because there's a plan at work. There's a, there's a, uh, a philosophy. There's this strategy that God has enacted in our lives that he's put me here for a reason. This is what's going to happen. He says, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. Like there's some bad times ahead coming. And be re rejected by the elders, the religious leaders, the leading priests and teachers of the law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with the disciples, watch what Peter does. Peter was on board. No, no, no. You're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the chosen one. And then Jesus says, yes, but don't tell anyone. And what comes next is going to be ugly. It's not going to be what you're expecting. Like you want me to overthrow the government, but I'm telling you that in order for the, the plan to be enacted, what has to happen is everybody's going to reject me. I'm going to be killed, but then later I'm going to raise from the dead. And as he told them this, watch what happened. Peter says, hey, Jesus, um, uh, guys, can you just, can you just miss us for just one second? Peter, uh, Jesus, can we talk over here in the other room? <laughs> he brings Jesus, like, Jesus, I know what you said. You're the Messiah, and you said all this stuff, but listen. He begins to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus, you don't need to be saying those kind of things. Like, we're all here for you. You're the Messiah. We get that. But, but you can't be talking about how you're going to die. And, like, you, you're not making any sense now. And we're moving right back into that moment where we have, a like, this mysterious, doesn't make sense. They don't know what's coming. They don't know how the pieces of the puzzle fit together. They think they know who he is, but they have no idea. And... Peter reprimands him. Because why? Because Peter had an idea of who Jesus was, and that's not what Jesus came for. That's not what the disciples wanted to hear, that things were about to turn sour, things were about to get ugly. They didn't want to hear that. But you know what's crazy? Sometimes we get upset because God's not doing the thing that we want to happen. Sometimes we do the same thing, like, God, why'd you let this happen? And it's almost like you and I take Jesus. Hey, can I talk to you in my office for just one second? Jesus, come on. Remember what I prayed about? I had some things, some very specific things on my list. I needed, remember, we were talking about the presidential election, and remember, we were talking about what was going to happen with the city, and we were talking about what was going to happen with the church and the my neighbors, I remember all that. And you, I remember you said everything would be all right. You said you were in control. And it's amazing how many people come to Jesus just because they think that Jesus is going to give them what they want. When all along, Jesus never claimed to say, hey, I got if you just make a list, I, I, will, I will do my best to take care of that list. That's not his plan. And that wasn't his plan with the disciples. He told the disciples, yes, I'm the Messiah. I am the one that's been prophesied about. Don't tell anybody, but it's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. And so I want you to watch really carefully what Jesus says. Watch what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus turned around and looked at the disciples and reprimanded. So Peter says, hey, can we talk in the other room? Jesus walks back and he looks at the other disciples and reprimands Jesus. Uh, Peter, in front of everybody, he says, get away from me, Satan. So that kind of backfired on him. He had hoped to take Jesus off to the side and have a little private conversation. And then he gets called Satan. 
I never want to be called Satan <laughs> by Jesus. This is almost that moment, if you've seen 8 Mile, I just imagine Jesus and Peter on stage, battle rap right here, They're, and Jesus just drops the mic because, get away from me, Satan. Like, we're having this discussion, the Messiah, this is going to happen. No, Jesus, this can't happen. They're back and forth, and then all of a sudden, it's over. Get away from me, Satan. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Like, he just takes it to a whole other level and says, you have no idea. You have no clue what's going on here because you're seeing with man's eyes. You're seeing with human eyes, and that's where we're all at. We don't get it. We don't understand. God, this doesn't make sense. What is 2020 about? What's 2021 about? What's my life? What is it? I have, Jesus, I want to trust you, but what's going on here? It's a paradox. It feels upside down. It feels backwards. And sometimes we leave God's plan because of our feelings or because, or because we didn't want to hurt someone's feelings. There are people in your life who, are, who, who you get excited when you realize the next step in God's plan for your life. You realize it. You get ready to take that step. And someone says, hey, 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 Gentry. Let's go have a little talk over here. Listen, I know you had, I know you feel like God told you this, and I know you feel like that this is like God's plan or whatever, but you can't be talking like that. That, that sounds crazy. And we have that same conversation that Jesus had, but Jesus' response is, hey, get behind me, Satan. Get away from me. I'm not listening to that garbage. We already know that Jesus didn't want to... He prays that God would take the cup from him. He knew it was going to be hard. He didn't need somebody else telling him, no, 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 Jesus, you don't have to do that. He didn't want to listen to it. Some of us need to tell some people in our life, you might not want to call him Satan. I, I don't know. But, <laughs> but even in the movie, we see that Eminem has some, or B-Rabbit in the movie, has some tough relationships where he's struggling to some of those relationships have to be broken for him to go where he needs to go. The takeaway is that God's plan may be scary or difficult, but you have to lose yourself in the music. You own it. The moment you own it, you better never let it go. Like taking a hold of that moment and realizing that this is the moment of decision. There's a human way and there's a God way. There's a place where God wants you to go. There's a place where it doesn't make sense. There's a place where your nerves are on edge and your knees are shaking and you feel like you're going to throw up and there's no way I can do this. And God says, just take a step of faith. He goes on to say, then calling the crowd to join the disciples. So Jesus said, this is a teaching moment. Let me tell you a little bit more. And then he brings everybody. Everybody needs to hear this, not just the disciples. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, and if you remember last week, we, we, we talked about what it means to actually follow Jesus, not just be a fan. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. That means it's not going to be easy all the time. There's a cost that has to be paid. And while he paid the ultimate price and gave his life on the cross for us, we take our own cross. You don't have to lose your life on a cross and be crucified and die, but you have to give up every part of it to find the new you. 
we wear a cross and we think that it's this iconic image and we, we, we love the cross. And, but listen, when Jesus said you have to take up your cross, what he was actually saying is he was referring to an implement of torture. He was referring, like a, that would be like us, we wear a cross on a necklace. That would be like us wearing a, a necklace with a little electric chair on it or a noose or That's what he was saying. Like, if you're going to follow me, you have to choose death. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Like, if you're grasping to control and take control and keep your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. So how do we lose ourselves? How, how can you take up your cross? How can you take that moment in the next five or six minutes? I'm going to give you three things, and you can write them down. Practical things that we, once we come to, the, come to grips with the idea that, okay, my life might not look the way that I, that I expected it, that Christianity, my life of, of faith might not be this checklist of God's going to fix this, and God's going to give me the perfect husband, and God's going to give me the perfect wife, and the perfect family, and the perfect house, and my uh, three-car garage, and like all the things that we have on our wish list. That's not what Christianity is about at all. It's about giving him back our life. He made us. It's about giving him back our life so that he can give us the life he made us for. Three practical things. Number one, how do we do that? Number one, you have to literally lose your self. We have a lot more selfishness in us than we probably would like to admit. The things that, oh, that feels good. But you, the things I want, just throw the things I want out the window. Because when I embrace the things that he wants and abandon the things that I want, Watch what Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer what? I no longer live. That didn't mean he died. He didn't kill himself. He wasn't crucified. He wasn't murdered. He was speaking of another kind of death. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I, the life now, I, I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we do that? How do I live a crucified life? I'll tell you how you do it. You do it through prayer. How do I give up self? How do I lose myself? I'm telling you, it's through prayer. Because every single day, we talked about putting on the armor of God. Week one of playlist. We talked about setting the tone for every day. That God, this mind is your mind. God, my eyes, just making a, going down the list of what my life looks like. I crucify my eyes. God, let everything I look at. Be holy and pure. Let everything I say today be for your glory. Let everything I listen to be for your glory. Let everything my hands touch, everything that I do for my career, for relationships, and my health, God, I commit it to you. That is a, that's a moment in prayer where you, every single day, it might only take five minutes, where you go through your life and you make the commitment in prayer. There are some things in life Listen, doesn't make sense. It's a paradox. Why would I want to give up everything? Why would I want to pray every day? Why would I want to go through my life and commit every single thing to God? There are some things that just don't make sense until you do it. And then you're like, uh, 
oh, why didn't I ever do this before? This is amazing. To rewind to the 90s, I was in high school in the 90s. And, okay, I heard a gasp right there. That was, <laughs> oh, it's not that shocking. High school in the 90s, and the internet was not as popular as it, as it is right now. In fact, I think that um, the average household had 7%, the average household, 7% was the, was the number of households that had the internet on average. So there was not, not everybody had the internet, not everybody had um, email, and Google, Gmail hadn't come out yet, and even AOL was like, what? Like trying to figure out what, what am I doing? When I first heard about email, it was like you could send a message over the internet and talk to all your friends and make sure people you could send. I was, I at that age, like ninth and 10th grade, why would I ever want to send the message on the internet? That does, that makes zero sense. I, that's crazy. You know how long it takes to do that? I have to get on the internet, go through this whole dial-up process, then type it out, and then wait for them to get I can just call them. I have a cell phone. I have that Nokia. I can make that phone call. Or I can just pull out my phone and do a little T9 text. I can send them a text. I have to pump in the numbers. But it's so much faster, so much easier. But now, nowadays, like knowing now what technology would do to the internet it's like, how could we ever live without this? Why would you ever not want this? It's like the people who said that computers would never be a thing. Prayer, when you actually commit and dive in and say, okay, I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to commit my life to God. I'm going to give every single thing in my life to God. It changes everything. It's a game changer. It's a paradox that once you step through that door, you'll never want to go back. It doesn't seem like a good call, but it is when you get there. Paul said, I die every day. That didn't mean he kills himself every day. That means that every day I submit my will and all the things in me. Number two, not only do you have to lose yourself, but you have to lose your flesh. We have too much flesh going on. I don't care if you're in the church or outside the church. I wish I had more time to talk about this. There are so much emotions, our will, our own willpower, the things that are rolling around in our minds, your mind and my mind, the desires of this life, the things that are reaching for my attention, the lusts of the flesh. The th this is the place in your life where you have pain, where you're hurting, where you have issues. You have to cut out. You have to kill your own flesh. You have to die to the flesh, lose your flesh. Galatians 5 says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful, the sinful nature desires. This is talking about a headbutting that's happening. Just like when Peter said, no, that's not what I want. Jesus said, you are only thinking from a human perspective. That's all of us when, but I'm hungry. But I want to watch my favorite show. But I want to go to this event. But I want to be around the things I want to be around. I want to go look up that thing on the internet. I want to go participate with whatever it is. Right? And God's saying, no. Paul says, the spirit in you needs something more than that. The two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So how do we lose ourselves? We pray. We commit to God. We lay down those things. How do we lose our flesh? Here's, a, here, here's in my opinion, here's where we are. We do it through worship. If the spirit in me and the flesh are contending for power, authority, if, they're, if they each want their own thing, you know how I sway the battle over to my spirit? I spend some time in worship. Have you ever been in worship and you just have that moment of, it's like this moment where you're broken like, oh my gosh. That's, it, it, it only takes me a few minutes to get there. I, I might have the worst attitude in the world where I'm going to do, you know what, I deserve to do what I want to do. I can be in worship for five minutes, and all of a sudden I'm like, God, forgive me. I, I've been so full of myself recently. I've been so full of my own thoughts, my feelings, my emotions. So full of myself. Don't allow what you think you want to get in the way of who God made you to be. We get in our own way. My own feelings. My own nerves. The way we understand truth is backwards. Our culture. We've embraced the culture of the world and really God's saying, I got a whole other thing going on here. You don't understand it. You just have to trust me. You have to follow me and your life will never be the same for eternity. Number three, lose the world. Lose yourself, lose your flesh, and lose the world because you might not think that you do, but we have a whole lot of the world going on in here. The things of this world. The truth of this world. Because truth is a thing that's a little bit elusive right now anyway. Like, what do you mean? That's, that's fake news. We can get caught up in that super easy. You know, Pastor John, I saw this thing on the internet. <laughs> okay, what about what God said? Have you heard what God said? Have you thought about what, what the Word says? We need to go back to the Word. So the way that we lose the world is to lean into the Word of God. I don't have to tell you what that looks like. There's some, there's some things that the, the truth of the Word of God wants you is leading you, beckoning you. And I don't have to go through that list because the Holy Spirit, he's already been dealing with you already about getting rid of the world. I want to read you one more verse, then we're going to close. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is the message uh, paraphrase. He says, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Like embracing that doesn't make sense. It's a paradox. But then when you do embrace it, it's the best thing that you can do. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. It's like we fit into the culture of our flesh and we fit into the culture of our past and it makes it impossible for us to move into our future where God wants us to be better. God wants us to be something different. He said, I've made you to be better. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. That's like Peter 
I, I imagine when Peter gets called Satan, he's probably, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. At some point, he probably realized, oh, uh, I, I made a mistake here. At some point, you realize you've made a mistake. It's time to just back up, and there's no, you don't have to try and save face with God. He says, it's all right, come on. I knew you weren't going to get it the first time anyway. That's what grace is for. Let's go. He says, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to be at that higher level. He wants you to take hold of it and never let it go. You'll never know what your life could become until you hand it over to the one who created it. I want you to pray with me today. Would you commit this moment, this life? Would you commit to God that, okay, God, you can have my life. You can have this moment. You can have my self. You can have my flesh, the world. I don't want it. I just want you. And when you do that, everything turns around and the picture changes. Your life changes. Your future changes. We become something different. Something that someone on the outside can never understand. They could see it happening and think, oh man, something's happening. But they don't understand it. They can see the light from the darkness and not comprehend it. They can see the light and they, they know something's going on. They just... If you told them step by step, they'd be like, no, nah, that don't make any sense. <laughs> what are you talking about? You could try to explain it, but unless you're in the light, you don't understand the light. It's only when you fully surrender and you say, okay, I'm coming out of the dark. I'm stepping into the light. I'm going to give God a try. I'm going to give his way a try. I'm going to take that step of faith. In closing, I want us to pray. And if today you've never said that, prayer of commitment and surrender to God to give your life to Him, I'd love for you to say that prayer with me today. If you're at home today and you've never said, God, I want to give you my life so that I can have the one you have for me, you got to lose your life to find it. Would you pray this prayer with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you say these words? Dear God, today I give you my life. And in exchange, I receive your free gift. Come into my life and save me. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of my sin. Make me whole and give me a new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.